This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kelly Hume, who is the lead partner for data and analytics at Beringa Partners. So Kelly, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Cal. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's all right. The pleasure's uh, all ours. I'm really looking forward to um, to this conversation. So where we always start, Kelly, is by asking our guests to give themselves a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and, and journey up until this point in time, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm from Manchester, uh, sort of first generation to go to uni, studied chemistry at the University of Leeds. I had I was quite geeky as a, as a kid and I was quite into astronomy and I'd wanted to study astrophysics. My mum and dad were quite um, quite concerned by that and didn't understand what type of job I could possibly get with an astrophysics degree. So persuaded me to do chemistry, um, which I did at Leeds. Um, as part of that, as part of that master's degree, I did a own industry at Pfizer. Um, and I, in that role, I was doing lab automation. Um, so I was automating and using sort of computers to automate robotic processes, which was really cool and made me want to focus for my final year of my degree on, on more of the computational side of chemistry, which was write, writing code, basically, which is quite yep. interesting. And then beyond that, I finished my degree and I chose to um, rebel against my parents and do a PhD in astrophysics. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I did my PhD in astrophysics, um, which was combined with Leeds and, and Caltech in, in Los Angeles. Um, it, was, it was really quite cool sort of using massive lasers the size of cars to blast chemicals and, and monitor what was happening. Um, it was focused on evolution of, of planetary atmospheres, which was um, really interesting and, and basically led to a job at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California. So after my PhD, yeah, I went out to California um, and spent three years at JPL in Pasadena, who was largely doing the same type of work as I'd, I'd done during my PhD. So um, lots of computational modeling and predictive analytics to understand and try and predict how evolution of, um, of planetary atmospheres might evolve under different physical and chemi- chemical conditions. And, and then also taking data from a, a space mission that had, had gone up to uh, a moon of Saturn and, and analyzing that data as well. So very, very data heavy, but not not in the sense of um, of, of data analytics the way I, I, I do it now. So, mm. yeah, that was that was my education. I guess I had a brilliant time at JPL, but in hindsight, uh, I, I probably was hugely affected by imposter syndrome. So it was a very 
male dominated environment I was probably the youngest um working in in the area I was working in by about 15 years um and I was probably yeah one of the the few females there and the majority of well not the majority but many of the team I was working with had Nobel prizes and equations named after them and things like that so I was quite I felt like I was um slightly out of place and and there through um, look and chance rather than design and earning my my place to be there. So I'd always probably planned on returning to the UK and didn't really see myself as staying in the US long term. Um, and in my head, I'd always planned on coming back to the UK and and changing career um, quite you know completely. If if I was going to stay in that field, obviously NASA would be a place to do it. So coming back, I, I'd. I decided that I would try and move into consultancy. I secured a job with Detica, which was a really great place to to start my career. Um, Super innovative, um, really doing cutting edge, cool, cool things that I'd be proud of doing today. And that was, you know, 15 years ago. So um, it was really exciting place to play. I was became quite heavily involved in Helpo networks and doing lots of um, predictive analytics on asset maintenance and things like that. Um, much more pure play analytics. So I joined Detica as a obviously like a, a data, probably what you would call a data scientist today. But to be honest, I had none of the data sort of language skills that you would use to do data analytics um, for for typical clients. So I was having to learn SQL and we used um, SAS quite a lot back in those days and R and Java. I had to sort of learn it on the job, which was uh, interesting, to say the least. Um, but yeah, so spent quite four or five years working in telco networks, uh, predominantly at Detica. And then when they were taken over by BAE Systems, um, it basically it became quite hard to sell to some of those clients. We focused quite heavily on government work. Um, and at that point, I moved to Deloitte. Uh, in Deloitte, I worked for Risk Analytics. Um, Focused a lot on architecture, shaping opportunities, solution design, um, regulatory compliance, operational effectiveness, all that type of work through, you know, through pure play data analytics, I would say, building out solutions um, for, for clients. And then moved more into big ERP type work, a lot of data migration, data quality, integrations, um, so pretty much everything that you could possibly ever do from a from a data perspective, I think I've I've done throughout those two um, those two periods of my career, and I think at that point in time, you know, I was the world was starting to move on quite rapidly from a data perspective, and a lot of the work we were doing was still very sort of SQL and quite constrained by working in audit and type the types of big clients we were working with had quite old legacy IT teams and, and weren't very um, quick or agile to adopt new technologies. And therefore, at that point in time, I, I you know, I was having some conversations with Beringa. I'd heard of Beringa um, quite a lot through my network. Um, I knew that it was probably more like Detica from a scale perspective. Um, so more like you know, 800 people at that point in time. Um, I was finding it quite hard to control my own destiny and input into the strategy of the team I was in in Deloitte. And so 
I, I thought it might be a good time to take myself out of my comfort zone and work somewhere else. And and that sort of placed me, placed me at Detica, at Baringo even. Yeah, I was, um, I was, <laughs> I was smirking as you were speaking, because I can only imagine, uh, obviously being from Manchester myself, and I imagine that my um, parents and grandparents would have said exactly the same thing that I said that I wanted to study <laughs> that line of uh, that field of study as well but um, to go from you know well, what the what the hell is that going to do for you to working at NASA yeah, <laughs> exactly. kinda, surely that must have been a well there you go moment I knew I was right <laughs> well it was yeah it's, it's quite interesting actually because whilst I was doing my PhD I actually uh, I got married and during my wedding speech um my dad made a bit of a joke. I was at this point, I was doing my PhD in astrophysics, but my dad made a bit of a joke about me wanting to be an astronaut as a child and being a bit geeky. And so that actually really drove me to try and get the job for NASA. I was like, I'm going to work for NASA because he he didn't. He said, oh, she wanted to be an astronaut and work for NASA. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do that now uh, <laughs> just to just to prove a point. It feels yeah. like the majority of my career has just been a rebellion, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, so tell us then, nice nice segue there into the current day and Baringa, a business that I've watched from the outside for, for quite a for quite a number of years now and, and certainly admire in terms of what you're doing from a data analytics perspective and you know a wider service offering perspective. But just give us an insight into who Baringa are, predominantly you know what you do as a wider entity what your then focus and scope is within data and analytics yeah sure so uh, Beringa's heritage is very much in the energy sector um where the the leading consultancy in the energy sector um but now i guess we're much more than, than just energy for sure um we're regularly winning ft awards um for our services across fs products and services government sectors too and as a firm we have a strong shared um, set of ethics, I would say, and purpose, which really permeates uh, the work we do and very specifically the work we don't do um, and the geographies we we do and don't operate in. Um, what makes us really different, I would say, as a place to work. So one of the one of the big differentiators about Baringa, I would say, is the culture. And when I was considering my move from Deloitte I was told about the culture of Baringa and it actually was one of the things that I was most nervous about because it felt like a bit of a cult if I'm perfectly honest the way it was described um but I was introduced to a few partners and instantly wanted to join to be honest that the conversations are very authentic and relaxed um we we pride ourselves on being uh, like geeky um geek specialists and, and that's that's really a very good description of, of the firm. Um, I think the other big driver for the culture is that we have one PL, and that's across the entire organization and all geographies, which genuinely does drive different level of collaboration in the way I've I've never experienced anywhere else. But given our heritage in energy, it goes without saying that we have a significant strategic focus on sustainability, climate change. We have loads of work in that space at the moment. Um, helping clients work through the strategy um, for for net zero, um, supporting government bodies such as Bayes and Ofgem. So we're you know we're regularly in consultation with with those types of agencies and advising those two based on our experience across all of the the different players in that space. Um, 
We'll work in lots from a data perspective on carbon reporting and modeling and supply chain optimization. And, and as you may or may not know, we, we built the world's leading climate change scenario model, which we've then since partnered with BlackRock um, to take to financial services firms so that they can try to understand climate change risk impacts and opportunities. So I think as, a, as an organization, what Bringer is and, and maybe how it's different is is it's really, really clear on, on what we are and what we aren't. And I think the work that we do, which which actually really helps then as a segue into the work and my role, the work we do is is really purposeful. Um, it's not just, you know, body shopping and all about revenue. It's genuinely about building differentiated capabilities for clients. So I joined Beringa just over three years ago. Um when the data analytics and AI practice was less than a year old. So it had been sort of originated from, from one of my colleagues, David Blackwell, who had, had started the data team specifically. So spun it out from technology and transformation team. Um, and when I joined, it was less than a year old and probably less than 20 people in size. Um, it sits as a capability in Beringa. So from an op, an op model perspective internally, we have the sectors which are sort of verticals, and then we have horizontal capabilities, which you know are capabilities that are pertinent and span all different sectors. So DAA is one of those, um, and we're a team of functional specialists. So we try not to be specifically aligned to an industry sector. We are deep specialists in our in our skill set within data, um, and therefore we support all industries. And actually. Having worked for the you know 10, 15 years prior to joining Beringa in quite a, an industry-focused data team, I really see the benefits that that operating model provides in you know the lessons learned and the synergies across different industries. Uh, for me, for networks, I see the real synergies in telco networks and energy networks, for example. Um, so that's really good. And as a as a team, we comprise everything um, from data strategy. Um, experts, governance, op model, data, cloud architecture, BI, tooling, cataloging, you know, everything. And and we focus at the moment on or a lot of the work we do at the moment is building out cloud platforms with web-based apps, um, comprising production AI and ML um, data science solutions. So it's the whole spectrum of work, mm. I'd say. Yeah, the whole gambit. Absolutely. How How much of your work is still kind of tied to that kind of energy heritage because that's um obviously not only a very noble cause but a very now attractive place to play not just from a commercial standpoint but from a societal standpoint and you know economic standpoint etc yeah so it's it's really interesting i would say that from an energy from a sector perspective um because of the demand for data skills i try to be equitable across all of the sectors with um, our team's focus and time however um in terms of sustainability i would say that even in the the non-energy sectors we uh, you know the majority of the work or a, a significant fraction of the work that we're doing is sustainability reporting um or sustainability um strategy related work um, so, so yeah, it's it's quite interesting that even in you know FS in um, ENS, we're looking at 
you know, supply chain modeling and carbon reporting for end-to-end delivery and things like that. So, yeah, we're certainly seeing a lot of a lot of work in that in that space. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's absolutely massive. And we um, recorded a podcast actually specifically on the whole ESG piece um and throughout that podcast it just kind of it, it became very clear to me that this whole esg thing is you know it's going to be so big that it just becomes its own data thing right because it, it needs to have its own kind of lifeblood so to speak yeah absolutely and there's a lot of focus at the moment from clients on trying to grapple with the data that they'll need to start collecting creating buying even so that they can understand their you know their their carbon reporting and therefore how they drive to net zero and how almost trying to preempt some of the regulations that might be upcoming and how they can sort of be fit for future on on some of that yeah yeah absolutely it's a fascinating uh fascinating space so i guess obviously kelly you and i have been speaking on and off for probably 12 to 18 months or so and i guess when we talked about a potential topic for the podcast the whole premise or i guess you know we ended up on a conversation around kind of data modeling and the resurgence of data modeling right and how that has become a thing and i think i mentioned in that in that initial call that you know that's actually been a a huge bulk of our work this year actually with organizations going kind of you know back to basics almost saying you know we want people just you know we want data modelers that's what we are now looking for um which is interesting given you know most businesses are on this kind of trajectory or journey where you know data platforms in quotation marks of you know they've become all of the rage right mm-hmm. so i'm interested as a starting point to get your kind of thoughts on this is the data platform scene in your opinion is this another hype cycle is it another buzzword or i guess how is it different to the things that have come before it you know from because we've kind of gone through the whole gambit now right from warehouses and lakes to swamp houses now we're on talking about platforms like there's just all these words that are kind of constantly thrown around and often used interchangeably but aren't necessarily meant to be used interchangeably if that makes sense yeah absolutely Um, and it is interesting i think data platforms are certainly where the focus is at the moment and I would say, you know, any given day I have conversations with, a, you know, at least three clients a day on either re-architecting data platforms or looking at the architecture of data platforms or the use cases and the strategy for building a platform. And so it is, it's certainly where the focus is across all sectors at the moment. Um, I actually think that cloud data platforms are here for keeps. I don't think, I hope that they're not a hype curve um i think architected correctly that they support all of the benefits of traditional data warehouses um and more recently data lakes or data swamps as you as you rightly say um they have the advantages of of agile deployment and and i guess no crazy vendor lock-ins in the way that we've we've seen with like legacy technologies um they really allow and support innovation and rapid deployment, which I think is is a game changer, actually. Um, I think with data warehousing, we were really constrained on scalability and storage. It was very expensive. Um, the point-to-point integrations were painful, and therefore dev and deployment cycles were long and arduous. There was you know, a, 
there was a, at that point in time a real focus on understanding your data model and making sure you were very very um like to the point on on the fields that you were going to integrate into your into your warehouse um <clears throat> and it was all a very tech driven process i think as we moved to data lakes everyone just got super excited by um the scalability the the fact we could overcome the storage issues associated with data warehouses and the lack of structure so you know moving all of the unstructured data into into those types of technologies as well um it it really provided um a, a bit of a it was a revolution i guess after the the database which had been the, the mainstay for such a long a long time um, but as to your point, I think we just saw clients um, swing in the complete other direction um, where they'd gone from real quality control and design of a, of a database and probably put far too much focus on that to now just throwing all of their data into big data stores um, and quickly creating swamps, as you, as you point out. Um, lots of legacy data, no no focus or effort spent on cleaning that data up or overcoming quality issues, um, no structure, uh, no sort of filtering out of fields that you might not need or they, you know fields that weren't even populated. Um, and therefore, we just saw a complete lack of quality and consistency. Um, and, and quite quickly, I think data lakes for many of our clients became out of control. Um, so they didn't even know what was in there. So it was interesting, actually, from a when I was at Deloitte, a lot of, well, not a lot, but m much of the time when we were engaged to, to do any work, it started with a review of like an audit of what's in our data lake because they had no idea. Um, so that was true for many clients. Um, I think now we're looking at, at technology, which is accessible for, for people to use and become up still, skilled on quickly. Um and relatively easy to connect to data sources, especially where APIs are already available. And so we can create layers which have which have the benefits of, of the sort of relational database type structure, and then the agility that you might want with unstructured data, coupled with you know all of the tools and technologies to enable you know rapid rapid deployment of um, of AI analytics and CI/CD and, and all of that. So it feels like a real game changer for me. Mm, yeah. It kind of, I guess, based on what you're saying there, it's almost like the, the perfect middle ground, right? It's kind of more scalable and agile than than the warehouses were because, you know, we're not as constrained by the controls and the storage issues, but at the same time, there's enough constraint and control in there that, you know, we're not ended up with swamps that the lakes had, had kind of caused in, in inadvertently, of course. So, um, what do you, because obviously I guess a lot of what you talked around there at the start, especially around, you know, being able to bring this all back and, you know, within the lakes, it was, there were quality issues that we didn't know what, you know, what was where and how you access it and all of that type of, of good stuff. What has been the reason for the, or the need for that refocusing on those foundational elements in your opinion? So I think, I think it's, it's almost the the business awareness now and the business sort of involvement in in some of the delivery. Um, so I think a, a lot of the data lake. If if I think about the use case for data lakes 
or you know data warehouses historically there would be much more bi insight reporting sort of centrally driven to do everything um and therefore there was no very specific functional single use case for it other than reporting regulatory reporting and, and that involved lots of different data sources etc whereas now I think we're seeing the build out of of such platforms at a functional level within organizations. And therefore, the use cases are very specific. Um, And therefore, the way you can deploy use cases, spin up the the environment, build out the platform with the required sort of tools, technologies to deliver a thin, what I class as a thin use case very quickly. is really based on our ability to understand the data that's available and where we would integrate, um, where would we integrate the systems and, and data to deliver those use cases. So for me, where we see data platforms currently failing or were being brought in to try and re-architect it or or to look at how we can make it operationally useful for, for the business, it's because we've built a platform, we've integrated lots of data but we don't really know what for. So there's a, a real focus for me on be really, really tight on your use cases and the priority of those use cases to get data in the hands of the business quickly and meaningfully. And then once you understand the use cases, put the legwork in to do the data modeling, understand your data, like your data architecture, your tables, what you need to bring across. And that really helps you to be very focused and prioritized in the integrations of data into those platforms because that feels to be the the rate limiting step for one so the thing that usually takes takes the longest amount of time um and it tends to be the thing that if you if you're not very um controlled in your approach to doing that and you don't put the effort into the design then you're just creating further problems down the line in terms of the quality of control and the use of that data um so, yeah, I think understanding the sources that you want to integrate into your data platform, is, there's just no escaping in getting away from those solid foundations. Like, you know, it's back to first principles almost around understanding your sources, you know, putting controls around your quality, understanding your governance and um, your governance processes. And that makes for building out a solid platform. Yeah, yeah, absolutely makes um, makes perfect sense. How then, when you're having these conversations with all these businesses that you're working with, how do you approach getting the balance right between identifying the use cases by which you start, but also designing with the end in mind? Because I guess that's been the whole reason, right, of the the whole resurgence of data modeling is that, you know, we've probably as an industry being quite guilty of, well, let's spin something up. Let's tackle a specific use case. We create a load of data around that. That's done. It's sat there. It's been stored somewhere. We're paying for it. You know, we could probably even tie that back to the whole ESG movement, right? Because it's sat in a data center, which is costing money and blah, 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 blah. Um, But rarely is there that kind of centralized approach to kind of say, but beyond that use case, we can still use that data elsewhere or, you know, whatever the case may be. So how do you how do you tackle to make sure that you get the balance right in that equation? Yeah, so I think the one thing that we do really well, you know, specifically as Beringa is we work really closely with our sector colleagues. So we've got the the sort of the deep 
energy trading expert or the deep networks expert or whoever that is from our sector who really understands the business. And I think what we do really well that differentiates us is we, when we're sort of strategizing and designing these platforms, we're, we're, we're sort of working very closely with those teams who are able to really solicit those use cases at a detailed level from the business, understand what they re- what benefit they really want to drive from this platform. And we couple that back with, you know, systems, data um, modeling. So understand the systems, like the core systems that they might want to pull data from and where the data to deliver some of these use cases would sit. And typically we'll find that there is, you know, for any sort of given functional area, a core system, and then, you know, 10, 20 other systems that they might want to augment that data with. And so I think the way that we try to prioritize some of those use cases, it's just like the 80-20 rule almost, like which system could we integrate first, which is probably going to be relatively straightforward to do to deliver the majority of use cases or the ones that are of most use to you. Because I think the the one the one big difference that we're we're really experiencing um in sort of parallel to all of the technology changes that we're seeing is um how intelligent the business are when it comes to their want to use data, their understanding of of cloud and platform and their ability to upskill themselves on all of this. And so I think where, again, where we see these programs fail is where we're not working that sort of cross-functional team, like hand in hand with the business to deliver them value quickly. So it, you know, it, it goes, it, it's, it talks very much like the product tone of all and all of those roles as well. Um, I think we're seeing a real surgence of, of those roles too, and making sure that the business teams, the tech teams are all working really, really closely together to deliver meaningful outputs to the business in the hands of the business end-to-end very, very quickly. And for me, it's about yeah, finding those core source systems, modeling them really tightly so you understand exactly what your, your API calls are going are to be bringing across and how you'll use that data, the cadence of that data. So you know, is it an event-driven use case? Is it not? What services would that require then to deliver end to end? All of that, because I think otherwise, if you delight, if you try to build a platform or design a platform for all of the use cases, it's probably going to incorporate every, you know, every tool, technology, APIs, <laughs> or call that you could possibly imagine. So doing that in a controlled and sort of um a pipeline way, um, a sprint way, having a backlog, understanding the priority, I think that's how how we can. We can buy ourselves the the right to keep working in this space, to be honest, because deliver some value quickly and you've earned the right to to build out the next set of use cases and the next set of uh, services. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes um makes perfect sense. So give us give us your take then on why this whole data modeling thing has come back into place and then I guess the relationship that has on kind of building for a single use case or designing for the end in mind, as it were? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think it's finding the middle ground between where we were with um, relational database type architectures and and the the data, the data lakes. So I think like I say, we we did go a we did go from one extreme to the other where we're 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 just chucking everything into a data lake 
And I think now there is some re realization that what we've created um, in those instances is is not really helpful to the business. So to deliver data in a way the business can understand it, find it, use it effectively, they really we need to be very very clear on on the fields we're bringing across and and the intended use, the definitions, the constraints on that data, the quality controls. Um, we want to create trusted data sources that the business can just use and, and rely on. And so there is a real acknowledgement that today, um, as, as businesses and the business users themselves have become much more savvy um, and demanding of, of, of what they want from data, I think there's an acceptance that, you know, the data they have today that they might be reporting from their legacy systems isn't quite fit for purpose. And therefore, modeling that out and making sure they understand it really well and, and they can get the most from it, it does require that um, that focus on, on the modeling um, up front. So that's, I think that answers the, the modeling part of the question. Um, I think then beyond that, I, I think there's also been, that there's also a lack of understanding to, to some extent in, in the data that is available in legacy source systems. And so there's a there's a real value case in just taking a, a step back and understanding the data available across the organization so that you can really understand what value you could drive from some use cases. You know, if we brought this data together, wow, um, what could that achieve? I think the third point then is also the role of data scientists in some of this, because I think over the past you know five years, you've seen the hype curve with data scientists. They typically have been bringing lots of this data together, albeit, you know, on their own machines and delivering really cool value to the business through proving the, the, the use cases. But we've really struggled with then productionizing that. So I think, you know, the business now have seen some of the use cases in action and they want, they understand more about the data across their organization and how it could be leveraged to, to drive more value. Does does this alter in your eyes, Kelly, the operating model? If you're going to go down this platform route, does you know just talk to us about the relationship with the operating model that businesses are, are working with? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think it does. I think it really does. I think we're seeing data services now becoming decentralized. Um, you know, five years ago it was probably sat squarely in in the arms of IT, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I think business functional areas are taking much more ownership of, of what they want from their data and how they're prepared to deliver that and they're investing in it. I think, you know, centrally, the C-suite are supportive of that. So they're, they're providing the budgets to enable that to happen. Um, and I think it's really healthy. I think too often uh, the central tech teams have, have been the tail wagging the dog. And, you know, in my experience, eliciting uh, the detailed user requirements when you're a, where you're an IT team or even a, a BA working with the business, but you don't really understand the business functional area super well. Um, that's that's really really hard to do. It's really hard to build out those user user stories, acceptance criteria, all of those things um, in a way that is genuinely going to deliver value for the business. Um, and I think you know, and then with the traditional gated delivery processes that we used to see as well, 
you'd you take those requirements that the IT team would go into isolation and build something and 18 months later, something the business didn't recognize would pop out. So I think now working as cross-functional teams where the, the technology teams are, are largely seconded on a program, um, you know, a program basis into, into cross-functional teams led by the business, I would say. Um, it's a much more efficient way of working. And I think we're we're seeing the we're seeing the the fruits of of that. Yeah. Do you find because my experience tells me, and, and I completely agree with you, that over more recent times, that whole decentralization has definitely started to happen. And I think that's why we've seen the the kind of surgence of this kind of product ownership type role, right? You know, someone that understands yeah. the data but equally is versed in and, and embedded into that business because you know. Obviously, us as a small business ourselves and me not being a data person as an example, right? You know, I can have sat there with people and said, well, you know, it'd be great if I could see this all in one place. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Fine. But then they start to probe you. Well, what what about if you could see this? Would that be useful? shit yeah that, that'd be really useful I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know you know I didn't know that was possible so it's really yeah. interesting I think that's why you're starting to see that role become so prominent and I've stuck my neck on the line really over the last kind of six to 12 months and said I think that's going to be that data product space is going to be um, from a product ownership type of role yeah probably the next big thing over the next couple of years I I think personally yeah. Um, so yeah it's really it's really interesting I, I guess my question was going to be Based on your experience and the clients you're working with, talking about that decentralization, moving more into the business, but I think you still, for 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 many businesses, the whole architecture and engineering piece still often sits within IT or technology. Yeah. And then you often get, you know, the butting of heads, shall we say, or the politics around how those teams work together and so on and so forth. How 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 have you seen that play out? Um <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's interesting. I think um you know, often, often our roles as consultants sort of sits squarely in in the middle of um, of piggy in the middle of of the business and the tech teams. And I think you know the ability to to play devil's advocate a little bit and defend technology when you know when when things aren't quite going as as smoothly as as the business would like them to is really important. Um, I think there's still a long way to go in the ability to and and understanding the complexity i think with integration of these platforms with legacy systems you know especially where you've got 30 40 year old legacy on prem you know oracle systems um <laughs> in sort of you know the code was written by somebody who's now in retirement and you're bringing those those guys out of retirement to to help integrate and things like that that's really a real problem um that exists in the majority of clients um so i think you know there's a reality that you know in order to build integrations and apis on some of these platforms is incredibly difficult it's not that's we can't escape that and we can move them to the cloud which in itself is is a very significant challenge um but we can't escape that we have a world of of legacy systems and data that at some point we we need to be able to extract and use in a different way or move to to different sorts of platforms and technology have a, a very significant role to play in that and it's not an easy task um i think 
then beyond that, there's also a real uphill battle for technology in terms of upskilling, uh, attracting the talent to their team to be able to adopt some of these new and rapidly evolving technologies. That's that's a challenge that, again, we're, we're heavily supporting with because we have you know much more agility and innovation in in a consultancy than than typically like an old school. Oracle or SAP house where the technology team are pretty much like focused on on those sorts of skills. Um, so I'd say it's a journey. I'd say building those capabilities in the tech teams is is something again that we're massively supporting with. Um, and I think that that's 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 the right answer and the only way that we can we can probably deliver what the business needs whilst supporting IT to deliver and build their own new capabilities internally to be honest yeah yeah absolutely agree i think you know just the if you look at the talent landscape and talent market that that often is a very good barometer of where the industry or any industry in fact is is at right in terms of um you know where they're at on that journey because there's been a whole you know it was all about data science five years ago last two or three years it's been all data engineering, architecture, and a, a massive resurgence in data governance as well over the last 12 to 18 yeah. months, right? Which, you know, kind of brings it full circle back to, okay, business have realized, actually, we need to get our house in order here. We need to build these foundations so that there's something in it for us longer term yeah. than just maybe a couple of quick wins, um, which is is really interesting to see. I guess to bring it all back together then and, and kind of just conscious of time, but um, in regards to the whole ESG stuff that you're involved in and conversations around that, does this whole kind of data storage and duplication of projects and data and blah, 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 is that is that part of that conversation from an ESG perspective? I know that's probably a very minute part of it, given you know the, the, the depth and size and scale of the the challenges we have in those areas, I guess, but um, I don't know whether that's part of the the conversation or not. Yeah, there's yeah, certainly in terms of um, in terms of when we're working with organisations and looking at their total carbon footprint and and all of their energy consumption, I guess, and where the energy is being consumed, that will certainly play into data stores and, and servers and all of that. And then looking at the usage of those, I think those sorts of conversations though at the moment are very much a strategy um, type um, level in the journey rather than, you know, at the moment, most most clients are very, very nervous about, about this whole transition and, and where this will lead to and what that means for them. And so, I think understanding the total picture of which, like you say, some of the some of these platforms are a relatively small small part um, is really important. But we don't want to we don't want to freak people out at the moment. To be honest, <laughs> with going into too much detail about actually, it's a massive data transformation program you need to consider here as well, as well as all of your net zero reporting and transforming your whole business to be uh, more carbon efficient. Um, we need to be yeah, we need to we need to prioritize. And I do think that, you know, I do think that aside from the sustainability piece, um, the rationalization of of data systems, the, you know, the, the master data system, genuinely being a master data system versus <laughs> I've been in organizations where you've probably got seven versions of, of, of master data of the same thing. It's like, 
the newest goldist version copy of master data and the <laughs> newer 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 2021 version of master data so it's a uh, yeah i think you know rationalizing all of that back to what is our core you know where are our core systems how do we protect those and then where we're going to use them we're putting them into you know one or two places um, and going back to those those four first principles around not duplicating data, taking data from source when it's master data. Um, I think those are all really, really important. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, if you think holistically about some of the challenges we face in our industry, it often comes back to the fact that, you know, data in its, you know, wholeness is invisible, right? You know, so when you're talking about sustainability, you know, straight away the mind wonders to, well, we've got a load of diesel cars and lorries you know chugging around the road why don't we make them electric that's something that's you know you can tangible that you can see and feel and you can kind of get to to understand the difference whereas you know well can we get rid of all this duplicated data it kind of feels like in, <laughs> although it's really important you kind of like look at it and go well you know where does this sit on the priority list right it's uh, yeah. it's interesting yeah and i guess most of those conversations at the moment are actually about creating or buying in new data to support to support the report reporting that you you might need to do versus rationalizing the existing data that you have so that's a it's an interesting slant on it as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Kelly, look, really conscious of time, but um, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us your time. It's uh, very insightful, as always, when speaking with you. So um, we'll leave you to the rest of your afternoon and look forward to speaking to you soon. Awesome. Thanks very much, Kyle. Great to, right. great to chat. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then... Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.